I don't even know how you follow that. I'm not sure I've ever been in a friend interview like that. But like Brian told you, I've been friends with your pastors for several years now, and how appropriate that I would get the chance to come and talk with you in the Friending series. So two weeks ago, Brian Stiverson um, talked about the Friending series as he began, and his point was, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And he used a couple of passages. He used Proverbs 13, verse 20, where he said, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harms. <clears throat> he also used Proverbs 12:26, says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them to astray. So this whole point of friends has been the theme for the three weeks and how important it is. And last week, Pastor Dave talked about that you may be one friend away from the course of your destiny. One friend away from the course of your destiny. And how all of us need friends who make us better, who will tell us the truth, and are that friend that we can call at 3 a.m. in the morning when we have a need. That's why I have no friends. No calls. 3 a.m. Well, If you've been part of the series, I'm hoping that you've taken inventory of your life over the past couple of weeks. And you've thought about your friends, and you've thought about your future. And for some of us, we have to admit, you know, that's not the future I really want. I don't think that's the future that God has for me. How many of us want more out of life? I mean, I do. Even when you're following Jesus, life is good, there's still more that we want. There's something within us. And so this week, if we're adding more friends, how do we fit them in with our busy schedules? Well, we're going to talk about unfriending. doesn't seem like a popular concept, and yet it's kind of what the last two weeks they've been talking about is how important those friends are. And we're going to talk about unfriending Um, as the art of redefining friendships. So I'm not saying that you have friends that you just totally cut off and we're not connected anymore, but we all have friendships that it's time that we seriously take a look and consider, is it time to redefine those? Maybe we need to be closer to some of these good friends or maybe we need to create a little distance between some of these others. See, it's easy with this new thing called Facebook. Ever heard of it? See, on Facebook, if somebody says something we don't like or they post a picture of us that's unflattering, we just go hit the unfriend button and we're done. We don't have to put up with that anymore. But today what I want to talk with you about is your real friends, that core group of friends, that three or four people that you're really tight with. And even beyond that, There's usually 10 or 12 or 15 people that we really consider good friends. We hang out with them a lot. We spend a lot of time with them. But it's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Let me give you an example about a couple of friends. See, the monkey and the leopard were really good friends. And Mrs. Allen went on a safari to Africa, and she took her poodle. I have no idea why she took her poodle, but she took her poodle, okay? 
<clears throat> well, one morning, the poodle goes out, takes care of his business, and he sees a, butterf- a butterfly. And he begins chasing this butterfly. And this butterfly just keeps flying, and the poodle just keeps going. And suddenly the poodle stops and goes, I'm lost. I, I don't know where camp is. I, what do I do? And out of the corner of his eye, he sees a leopard. And the leopard sees a lunch called a poodle. And the leopard begins approaching to attack the poodle and make him lunch. And the poodle's like, oh no, what am I going to do? Well, there's some bones laying down, and so just as the leopard's about to pounce, the poodle turns around, gnawing on these bones, and says, wow, that leopard tasted really good, really good tasting leopard. And the leopard was so startled by this that he turns off and runs. Now, the leopard's friend, the monkey, was sitting in the tree. He watched this whole thing. He was like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. So he goes to the leopard and says, leopard, he was tricking you. That wasn't a leopard that he had eaten. You should have gotten him. He made a fool of you. Well, the leopard got mad. The leopard said, fine, get on my back. I'll show you how I deal with people who make a fool of me. Now, the poodle thought everything was over, but he sees this leopard coming again, and this leopard's intense. And just as the leopard's about to get into hearing, the poodle turns, starts gnawing on the bones again. And he says, where is that stupid monkey? I told him to bring me another leopard an hour ago. Now see, our friends may have good intentions, but they don't always get us to the place we need to be. So we're going to talk about the art of redefining um, friends. Sorry, was that distracting at all? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. That is what that said, isn't it? Bad company corrupts good character. As we've been talking Brian and Dave were using Old Testament passages and New Testament passages, and I'll use some New Testament passages as we talk today. But how do we make friends? How do we find friends? We meet friends through all sorts of um, situations in life. Uh, you know, how we find friends is irrelevant, but we choose to deepen friendships. You know, that's one of the few things that we control in our life. The people around us we can be friendly with, but those that we choose to go deep with is my choice. That's your choice. Why is this important? Well, some of you may have noticed this week um, on Wednesday, the rest of Christendom was having this thing called Lent. And people went to churches and had ashes put on their forehead. And so you saw people walking around through the day and their face was dirty. And you think, man, would their mama be upset? They're out with dirty forehead. But the significance of Lent for us even adds to this message. See, Lent reminds us, as it begins the 40 days before the Easter celebration of Jesus resurrecting from the dead, is that we came from dust and we're going to return to dust. And that the time in between is important. So if the time in between is important, the time we spend with friends is important too. So it makes who our friends are just as important. But this scripture says bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Brian, could you 
bring me up that little treat. <clears throat> I asked Brian if he would go in the bathroom and get me a little bit of toilet water. So I know your bathrooms are clean. I know you do, guys do good at that. But this really is um, water from the toilet. Now see, most of us realize that we need water to live on. So we pour ourselves a glass of water. It's good, clean water. It's been filtered. It's good for us. It gives us life. But if I take toilet water and I pour just, oh, that was like three drops. That's not much. How many of you are ready to drink this water now? Yeah, because we want people to notice us. We know that we may get sick the rest of the day from it. <clears throat> there's always two in a crowd. Don't worry about that. Um, <clears throat> We know that there's no way we're going to drink this water. I mean, so I'll pour it back. So it's been really filtered good now. I mean, it's diluted. It's not bad. So now, you know, we'd be good to drink this water, right? I wouldn't drink this water. In fact, not only would I not drink this water... I wouldn't take that cup and put new fresh water in it and drink because that glass has been tainted. It's still dirty. Why? Because bad company corrupts good character and it only takes a little bit. You're never going to forget this, believe me. <clears throat> now see, I know a lot of you probably don't hang out with people that are out robbing banks. Um, you may not, your friends not be, may not be in organized crime. Hopefully your friends aren't running a meth lab in Polk County um, or human trafficking. Um, but we do have friends that we know just drag us down all the time. They're always negative. They're always something's wrong. Woe is me. Or they're so self-centered that you're afraid to ever share things with them about yourself because they're just going to lash back at you. Now those are easy to recognize. You know what? I need to redefine that friendship. Now, I want to talk about some of those that are the subtle ones, those that gossip around us a lot, or those that encourage us to go and just drink a little too much and smoke a little too much. It's okay. It's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. We're not hurting anybody or, or, or sleeping around you know, or telling crude jokes. Um, we don't realize how subtle those things are and how... We get so used to that in our friends that we think it's not affecting us, but it just takes a little bit. I've been reading a book called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. Henry Cloud became famous writing the book on boundaries. That was really helpful in me, recognizing that, that the truth in the Bible says that my yes can be yes and my no can be no, and that that's good enough. <clears throat> But in this book, he's talking about necessary endings. And he's, he makes this quote, Our personal lives can only improve to the degree that we see endings as a necessary and strategic step to something better. And if we don't, good opportunities may be lost and misery repeated. I mean, he's letting us know that sometimes putting an end to something opens the greatest doors to something good or better. But it takes not staying in the misery, the emptiness of that friendship. There's a passage in 
Romans. Sorry, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Listen to, listen to this description of who we're called to be. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So when we're not only focusing on what's true and honorable and right and admirable and pure and lovely, but when our friends look back that, that's what we're absorbing. <clears throat> so if this doesn't describe those friends that have such influence on you, it's time to redefine. You've got to redefine these friendships. In doing that, I've learned that there are two things that I will not let my friends do. You see, a lot of my friends are Christians. But I will not let my friends distract me from God's plan. This happened even with Jesus. If you remember, Jesus had 12 disciples that followed him around. That these were his friends. These were his buddies. But he also had three that he spent the most time with. And one of those three, his name was Peter. Peter was this go-gung-ho, type A, over-the-top, flamboyant personality. And Jesus is on that last night with his disciples saying, I must die so that God's glorified and I'll be raised again and we will create a new kingdom together. And Peter said, whoa, that's not happening. No way are you dying. They are not taking your life. I will die before I'll let them take you. And Jesus said, stop. Matthew 16, 23 tells, tells it like this. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You're seeing things from, merely from a human point of view, not God's. You know, that was probably a slap in the face to Peter because he thought, I'm demonstrating my great love. But he was distracting Jesus from God's plan to reconcile the world, you and me, back to our Creator God by His sacrifice and blood on the cross. And in so doing, God put a stamp, an exclamation part, and said, this is the one because He raised Him from the dead three days later. That is what our fate is about. That is the power we have. <clears throat> so, we've got some non-Christian friends in our sphere of influence, let's say. Now, if they're giving you advice and encouragement to do things that are, you know, I mean, your soul knows this is wrong, that's easy to make a choice. You have to remember that your friends that don't know Jesus are playing from a whole different set of rules. In fact, there are no rules. It's all about me. And look how empty and miserable and angry most of us are or have been when we lived in that state before we realized how much God loves us and he demonstrated it through Jesus. 
and gave his life for us. And suddenly, through the work of his spirit, there's this radical transformation that begins with us. I'm not going to talk about those friends as much as I'm talking about the friends we surround ourselves with in the church community. You know, our religious friends or our friends who go to church. Our friends who are really good people or they talk like a Christian, but when you look at their life, you're kind of questioning, do they really believe that? You see, some of these things are so subtle that we don't remember it takes just a little bit to begin to impact, impact us in an unhealthy way. So, see, we have friends that are very self-righteous. In fact, they are, know the Bible so well, and they are so godly that they are around you and constantly point out the faults and sins of others. He gambles. Yep. Yeah, oh, man. You know, I don't know how his wife puts up with that, you know. You know, she's starting to hang out with his best friend an awful lot. There's something weird going on there. You know, she buys too many shoes. Now, I'm not saying that's a sin, but <clears throat> um, husbands, do not quote me on that. <clears throat> what I'm saying is we've got people that pretend they're playing the God card, and what they're doing is they're attacking other people, and they're cutting them down, and if they're not loving them, then they're hating them. And that's not who we're called to be. That is not how we talk about other people. How do I know that? Because I don't like when people talk about me that way. Do you like it when people talk to you or about you that way? No, because it hurts. It's not loving. We also have those friends who think that when we come together as a community of faith, all we do is we just come together and worship Jesus on Sunday morning and we listen to a good word and we may do communion and then we go home and we do small group during the week, and then we come back and do it all over again because it's all about us. We're just called to be together and be holy together. This is our little holy club. There's nothing wrong with that. We're called to become more like Jesus. But that's only the great command to love one another. See, Jesus also said there's a great commission that says we go. And we reach those that don't know Jesus yet. That we make them followers also and we baptize them in Jesus' name. So it's not just about us in here. It's one of the things that I love about TBA. We're in Highlands Elementary. You've got a community center. I mean, you have people that are reaching out to the world around you in Lakeland that extends to Florida, that extends to the United States, that extends to the world because it's not just the great command, it is a great commission to go and make disciples in all the world. And there's people here that are demonstrating that and it's a good model for us. See, it's not all just about us. It's about us and those that aren't us yet because they just don't know Jesus loves them. And then there's that friend that we have who is really funny. When we go out in public, they are so bold in the things that they say. They're rude. They make fun of everybody. They're sarcastic and snarky. And it's funny. It is funny. I mean, basically what they're telling you is, I'm still on the playground at elementary school. And if I say enough bad things about them, you'll think good of me. 
is because we're immature. We're immature emotionally. We're immature spiritually. And so they make some comments, and culturally we just think, oh, that's really funny, and oh my gosh, this person is just the life of the party, until they have a problem with us. And then that humor and that sarcasm and that anger that they're disguising as humor is directed at you and me. Suddenly we're reminded, this isn't cool. This is not who I want to be influenced by. Because the truth is, most of us, whoever we hang out with, we do begin to pick up some of their tendencies because we want to be cool too. I want to be funny too. You know, that, oh, that was really funny. Can I top that? Because just a little bit begins to corrupt my very character and integrity that I'm supposed to be showing people that I love them because Jesus loved me. And it gets corrupted. And then there's those really subtle ones that in our churches they go around and they're constantly attacking your pastors and your spiritual leaders and their coaches and mentors. And there's always something wrong. Let me tell you, you need to go back to Matthew 16 and say, Stop, get away from me, Satan. I guarantee you it'll get their attention. Because God has anointed the leaders and the relationships that you have. And when you run them down, then what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you and I disagree with you. It's great to have that attitude, but if you're a follower of Jesus, that is not who we are. It's just not what flows out of us. So we have to be careful about that. Romans 14, 19, I love how, he, how they say it. So let's all agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. Wow. I mean, how many of us, our lives would be better if the people around us only said things that were encouraging or affirming or lifted us up? Man, that stuff pumps you up. I mean, because what goes in is what comes out. If I'm being encouraged and affirmed, there's life. It gives us life. It's that other stuff that we don't realize it's killing me. It's killing my heart for other people. And God gave us a heart that's supposed to be full. So there are two things that I won't let my friends do. <clears throat> two things. One, I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. A good example of this is in Genesis where Joseph, with his robe of many colors, has been sold into slavery, but he has found such favor with um, Potiphar the king that he has brought him into his household. Now, I don't know what it was about Joseph, but Potiphar's wife, her eyes started drifting to Joseph. Hey, here's a young stud, and I like his robe. And in fact, when Potiphar wasn't there, she then says to him in Genesis 39, 12, Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But Joseph left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Even if his cloak may look incriminating, incriminating he is so set on his character and integrity, he runs. How undignified. He runs from this temptation and sin. I mean, the king was one of his good friends, so the wife had to have been. 
But he runs from that. See, there's things that we've got to decide that I just can't let people drag me into. Like, one of the ones is gossip. You know, gossip is that one that we just think is not a big deal because I'm just informing you about what's going on in their life. I mean, I didn't ask their permission to tell you, um, and if they walked up, I wouldn't be telling you in front of them. But you need to know this stuff. I mean, how can you choose friends if you don't know what I'm telling you about? Always finding fault with them. God says, that's not demonstrating my heart. I don't want that in you. My people are going to look different than what the world's doing. And so some of us have gotten really smart in our spiritual life and said, well, let me share a prayer request with you about somebody who has a big need with a problem they're having. So we spiritualize it. And we gossip and say, it's prayer requests. You know what? God's not fooled. And most of us aren't either when we start paying attention to what's being said. One of the most difficult ones that I think we're dealing with nowadays because of our culture are improper relationships. I mean, there's a lot of us that Facebook has been a great tool to reconnect with friends and acquaintances and families. But somewhere along the line, we reconnect with old girlfriends and old boyfriends. And, you know, we're just catching up. But we begin to talk to them more and more. And we have private messages. And suddenly we find ourselves thinking about them during the day. And next thing you know, we've been drawn into an emotional affair. Now, it doesn't just happen on Facebook. It happens with the people we go to church. Can that be possible? It happens at work. It happens in our communities because we don't realize what that is doing to us. See, we think, well, if I don't follow through, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it makes me feel pretty good that somebody finds me attractive and flirts back. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus said, wait. You know, you say by following faith that it's not committing the sin, but I'm telling you, if it's even in your heart, it's just as bad as if you've committed it because it corrupts our heart and our mind. So Jesus is saying, if you're entertaining this type of relationship, not only do you need to redefine, you need to stop. I'm giving you permission. Stop. Because this isn't healthy for you. It disrespects you. It disrespects them. But it disrespects the person you love. And you wouldn't do that intentionally. You don't think there's anything big about it, but that's what's going on. We've got to be smart, cunning, use the wisdom. Problem is, we're always rationalizing and justifying you know, our bad choices or sinful behaviors. And we don't realize how these little things happen one step at a time. How am I getting farther away from Jesus? One step at a time. I didn't just take off and take a big step. If you remember the stories of King Arthur and the knights of the round table, and I love the knights and the armor, you know, and the spears and the swords and all. What we didn't realize is when they went out to battle, they went out with new suits of armor as much as possible. And that armor and chainmail would withstand those vicious hits. But it was in those hits continually over and over and over. It wasn't big hits, it's just banging on the metal, banging on the metal, banging on the metal. And what happens? It gets weak. 
and in that weakened state when that fatal blow that their armor should have protected them from, it cuts through and kills them. That's what we're talking about, killing our heart. Killing the heart that we have for Jesus and for others, and it happens little bit at a time. We've got to be careful and pay attention. And one of the ways that we control that is who our friends are and who our friends get redefined as. So that's why we've been talking about that for the last three weeks. I love uh, what Andy Stanley said in his book, Principle of the Path. The guys were telling me about that, about it this week, and it was just, it's so perfect. It says, direction, not intention, determines our destination. And every choice we make takes us in a direction. If I'm wanting a better future, then every choice I make determines, am I pursuing that future? Or am I just lollygagging, wandering around, whatever happens today is good, and, but I just don't seem to be getting there. But every single decision, so the decisions of who our friends are and who we spend time with and who we let continually tempt us to sin becomes an issue for us that we need to be aware of. Now, this stuff is hard to do by ourselves. James 2 said it really clearly. He said, people will know what you believe by the way you live. I'm going to know if you're a follower of Christ, really a follower of Christ, by your actions. You know, our actions speak louder than our words. And in our culture, this is very hard to do. It's hard to determine, you know, how do I create these boundaries and create this separation? Or, you know, there's something about this friend that we've been friends for so long, but I just feel like every time I walk away, I'm just kind of empty. One of the most effective things that I find for us as Christians um, is being with other Christians and just trying to understand not only what God is saying to us, but how am I working that out in my life? And that's done in small groups. I'm thrilled to hear TBA has small groups, life groups, that you're trying to figure this stuff out together because we're made for relationship. And figuring it out on our own isn't always the easiest thing. So one of the things that we can do to help ourselves get pumped up, be encouraged, be affirmed, is be with a small group of people who are doing life together to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around them. You guys hear that all the time. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. It just doesn't work that way because we're made for relationship. And that means spiritual relationships also. So I'm not going to let them distract me from God's plan. I'm not going to let my friends continually tempt me to sin. But there is one thing that I'm never going to stop doing. I'm never going to stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. You see, Jesus didn't hang out with the religious people. He did hang out with a few friends that they worked together to change the world. But what's really challenging for us is Jesus hung out with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes and drunkards and taxpayers and the people that we say, oh, I would never hang out with them, but we've forgotten that the Great Commission says, no, that is. You go out and reach them. These aren't your best friends. These are the people that is your mission. If God's changed your life so much, don't you want other people's lives to be changed? And so my friends are important for growing in Christ, but I can't just grow for me. I have to do something with it, and part of the Great Commission is there are people that we go out with 
to help them recognize that God loves them. And for those of you that haven't been Christians for very long, you are the key. You're so connected to people that you hung out with, with good friends, and when they see the radical change in you and how love is beginning to flow out of you and how things, your marriage is getting better, your language is cleaning up, they go, man, I want that because it's attractive. It doesn't mean you don't go hang out with them and tell them about Jesus. Absolutely we do. But these friends are going down in a sinking ship. You don't go down on the ship with them. You redefine that friendship. These are friends you are trying to reach for Jesus. But these are not the close friends that speak into your life. These are not the wise people that want your life to be fuller and better. Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, made it really clear. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's no question mark in any of that. He doesn't say, you must love one another, okay? <laughs> he said, no, you must love one another because if you don't love one another, you don't love me. <clears throat> Now, he loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat them equally. And for some of us, we feel like we need permission. You know, I've got a friendship that I really do, but, you know, I'll be, I'll be selling Jesus short because I don't, you know, hang out with them all the time. No, remember, Jesus loved everyone the same, but he didn't treat them the same. I give you permission. Your pastors give you permission. If there are some unhealthy, whether subtly, or very clearly, relationships, it's okay to redefine it. It doesn't mean you don't stop loving them from a distance, but you stop letting them influence their life. You know what? If enough of their good friends happen, they're going to start reevaluating their life and go, I don't want this life. What can I do to be different? How did, how did you change your life? It's part of the way that we love as the great command and the great commission is we love each other so that the world notices it and then we're accepting and loving of them because God loves them too, but we don't settle for their bad behavior. And we don't join them in it. What we do is we model something that is a life worth living the way God's created us to be. So as the worship team comes up, we've been talking for three weeks about how important our friendships are and that it influences us, and it makes a difference. If it doesn't make a difference, then why does a little bit corrupt us? It doesn't matter how much I stand up here and talk about this. It doesn't matter how much Brian and David, uh, Dave talked about this. This is your choice. This is, again, one of those friendships that you choose. You can choose friends that help you have life, or you can hold on to friendships they cause you misery and death. It's that simple. My hope is that you're going to choose wisely. What are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you for who you are and what you've done, for the incredible ways you demonstrate your love toward us, God. We are so grateful. And Father, even as we talk about the importance of friendship, we're reminded that this is something that we have the power with your help, to actually change. And so, God, if there are people here who don't know you yet, don't recognize how much you love them and want to be 
in a relationship with them. Father, I ask that you don't let them leave this room today without talking to one of the pastors or the prayer team or me to just learn more about all the good things that you have for them in a life given to Jesus. And God, for the rest of us, I ask that you give us the courage and the strength to make decisions that we know will bring us life because you're all about life. And God, our friends are part of that. So help us to choose our friends wisely and help us to put that choice into action through the power of your spirit and the love of your son. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen.